Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, my co-hosts. And we have a lot to get to on this episode because we are previewing the upcoming Rule 5 draft. The Orioles have a deadline of Friday, November 20th to protect players from the Rule 5 draft. We're recording this show on the Wednesday night before that deadline. So we're going to try to get out in front a little bit here and talk about the Rule 5 eligible players that we think the Orioles should and will protect. And um, to throw in a little bit more of a challenge for us and to also conform to the regulations of a 40-man roster, right now the Orioles have five open spots on their 40-man roster. Chances are more spots will open between when we record this episode and the deadline on Friday. So as we go through and protect players, when we get to the end and we figure out how many players we protect, each of us are going to say how we would create 40-man roster spots whether that's non-tendering players who are arbitration eligible, um, releasing Chris Davis, maybe someone goes that bold tonight, or uh, designating certain players for assignment. Uh, But before we get into the Rule 5 draft, a quick transaction item to note that took place earlier this week. The Orioles acquired right-handed pitcher Miguel Padilla as a player to be named later for their July 29th trade that sent Hector Velasquez to the Houston Astros. Padilla uh, is 18. He will be 19 in April um, out of Venezuela. And he has one season of professional experience, and that was with the Dominican Summer League Astros in 2019. Uh, in 19 games with the DSL Astros, he went 4-1 with a 208 ERA, struck out 26 batters in 26 innings pitched while walking 16. Um, this is a player who does not rank in the top 30 for the Orioles system right now. A younger guy, uh, probably years away from being on any sort of prospect radar. And, you know, at this point, it's fair to question when exactly he's going to debut stateside. If the Orioles see him going back to the Dominican Summer League next year, where they fit him on a roster of one of their U.S. affiliates. But um, just a quick thought from you, and uh, so I'll just start off with Bob and Nick here. Bob, what are your impressions of Padilla and the return for a player that never actually appeared in the game uh, for the Orioles, Hector Velasquez? Or appeared in the game for the Astros who traded for him. So, yeah, again, I think Elias coming from Houston, he knew that system. I believe he had a part in signing the kid out of Venezuela in the international period. So, Clearly, I think he at least knows him a little bit, at least knows he's got some talent there that he can try to work with. Um, I, I don't know anything about 
him or what he does, like what his stuff is, all that. But it doesn't really matter. It's just a another way to add international prospect for a guy that you just like. I think they claimed him off waivers and then traded him before he ever even <laughs> unpacked his suitcase. So, yeah, it's again Elias. I think he's he's got the magic touch. Yeah, honestly, once they announced the the return for the Tommy Malone trade with Atlanta, and I saw a lot of people saying, well, there's still one more player to be named later out there from Houston, I actually had to look up who the heck we even traded to Houston because I forgot. Um, it's, it's a great move. I mean, we'll, we'll figure it out eventually. I think the bigger thing is that the Orioles are just getting more involved with these international players, bringing more of these guys in via trade. We got a few more uh, at the deadline last year. Um, you know, it's another avenue to acquire talent that, that Michael Elias is pursuing now. It's not like, you know, he's done with the rest of the farm system where you can just draft the SEC bats, the Pac-12 bats, and, and boost the farm system quickly that way. This takes time. I mean, your teams are, you know, th- these kids are verbally committing essentially to kind of compare it to, you know, like a high school sport. They're verbally committing to teams when they're, you know, what, 13, 14 years old. Uh, so it's going to take a couple years uh, for Michael Elias to form those relationships. But I mean, sure, Velasquez, best wishes. Even I don't even know if he's still in Houston or not, to be totally honest. But um, yeah, he's somebody. He's somebody. He's another arm in the system. Yeah, exactly. I think the Orioles really kind of making up for lost time in um, not being active in the international free agency um, really up until Elias got there. And as Nick said, I think it's going to take time for them to at least get to the point where they're competing for big free agents internationally. In the meantime, with this trade and some of the others that Michael Elias uh, made over the summer, including the deal that sent Michael Givens to Colorado and Richard Blyer to Miami, uh, he's picking up players that have. So he's been signed by other organizations out of the international market and maybe have some uh, Dominican Summer League experience under their belts. Um, Padilla was originally signed, this is from MLB Trade Rumors, quoting an uh, announcement from the Orioles. Padilla was originally signed by the Astros on November 26, 2018. I think that's roughly a few weeks after Elias was officially appointed to his position with the Orioles, but you have to think in theory... He was around when the Astros were scouting Padilla and would have some background of what he's getting here. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was implying. I know he was with the Orioles when they officially signed him, but you had to think he knew who he was. Right. So I I think this is uh, someone to keep an eye on going forward. It's going to be a while before we know what type of player Padilla really is, but someone to watch and certainly a young arm given that he will only be 19 in the 2021 season. Uh, We're going to move on now to really the big topic of discussion for this episode, which is the upcoming Rule 5 draft. The Rule 5 draft will take place in December, but the deadline for Orioles to protect players who are eligible for the Rule 5 draft uh, is Friday. Now, the Rule 5 draft, we've seen this play out a lot in recent years with the Orioles, particularly under Dan Duquette. They would select a player from another team um, and would have to protect them on the Major League roster all year or offer them back to their original organization. Uh, probably the best acquisition to come from the Rule 5 draft so far, Anthony Santander uh, on the active roster, but Richie Martin, who was the Orioles' primary shortstop in 2019, was out in 2020, uh, was also a Rule 5 pick. And if you want to go a little bit further back uh, to the Buxo, Walter, Dan Duquette years, guys who were around the team for a while like Joey Rickard, uh, Ryan Flaherty and TJ McFarland also came out of the Rule 5 draft. So there's a track record of the Orioles getting some value out of the draft. Uh, this year, though, there's a chance they could lose um, 
a pretty good prospect because as I noted in a story that ran in Baltimore on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com back in September, seven players that were listed in our top 30 prospect list for the Orioles farm system uh, in July are eligible for the Rule 5 draft this year, uh, including a consensus top 10 prospect in the organization and use Neil Diaz. Diaz is viewed as an absolute lock to be uh, protected from the Rule 5 draft. He would give the Orioles more depth in their outfield, and after some time at AAA next year, could be in line for a debut with the Orioles sometime over the summer. And in fact, I think if we had had a 162-game season in 2020, Diaz may have already been in Baltimore and would already be on the 40-man roster. But Diaz now looks like a lock to get protected from the Rule 5 draft. Um, As I noted in my piece and several other Orioles websites and writers have covered the Rule 5 draft, um, varying degrees, we've all kind of drawn different conclusions, and I'll quote some of those other articles tonight. But they also seem to agree that in addition to Diaz, Zach Lothar, a left-handed pitcher, and right-handed pitcher Michael Ballman, um, another consensus top 10 prospect who we've discussed a lot on this show, will be protected. So I'll start with you, Nick. Um, any disagreement there that Diaz, Lothar, and Ballman are absolute locks to be protected? No, I think that's clear consensus there. I know Steve Molesky uh, left Zach Lothar off his protected list this morning went with Alex Wells instead, but I don't see how you can leave Zach Lothar available. If he's available, he's going to be selected. Um, Diaz, like you said, we've talked about him a lot. Uh, you know, someone who I think there is that extreme amount of prospect fatigue with. For people that don't watch the minor leagues, maybe you, you see Cedric Mullins and uh, have success. You see Austin Hayes and Santander. You know Kerstad's coming. You know Mancini's coming back. So you're probably thinking, where does Diaz fit? And he's not this kind of elite, elite prospect. Uh, but he's a really good prospect. Um, and, and I think I'm going to stay on that hype train until he proves that he can't play in the major leagues. Um, he, he's got to be a lock. He's not going to start opening day on the active roster, but he'll be there soon uh, for sure. Lothar, yeah, you know, I, I, it's unfair and I think kind of wrong just to lump him in as like the soft-tossing lefty pitching prospect because he doesn't have the velocity, but the this fastball moves. It moves a lot. Uh, he's got the deception and the delivery. He, all he's done is strike guys out since his days at Xavier. Um Super high strikeout guy throughout his minor league career. This is a guy who I think at his peak is a back of the rotation starter. Or I've become more and more excited about watching him have a bullpen role maybe at the major leagues. We'll, we'll see in a couple of years. But seeing the success Keegan Aiken had only uh, in his first few starts only increased my excitement for Zach Lothar a little more. Uh, and with Bowen, yeah, we talked about him a lot last episode. Definite luck. Whether you're a starter that can go five, six, seven innings or a power reliever. Yeah, you got to protect him. He was the most improved prospect in 2019 in this entire system, in my opinion. So you got to add him. Yeah, completely agree with what Nick is saying. These are guys that if 2020 was a normal season, most likely they could have pushed for a time on the major league roster by August, September at the latest. So to me, they're locks because I think they'll all be in the major leagues before the all-star break in 2021. Diaz will be our starting right fielder at some point next year. Bauman, you know, he's he looks like a possible stud in the making what like Nick said, it's either a starter or a reliever. He's gonna have a role. And then Lauther, I think he, his spin rate on all of his pitches are really high. And unlike Alexander Wells, who 
had a bit of a speed bump in Frederick. He He's just continued to pretty much dominate every level he's been at so far in his career. So I don't see any reason to project that he's going to uh, anytime soon. Yeah, Lothar and Ballman for me are going to be really exciting to watch next year. Lothar is such a workhorse, too. He's been such a durable pitcher. He's been so consistent. Um, I think the Orioles left him unprotected. He could go into the Rule 5 draft. If not, I could see him in the conversation for the first pick overall, depending on who else slips through the cracks based on his track record. But I certainly think that if the Orioles left him unprotected, they would lose him. Ballman has so much upside that, again... If the Orioles leave him unprotected, they're going to lose him because the team knows that at the absolute worst, they can stick him in the bullpen for a year and then decide after that, is this where is this his home or do we want to send him back to the minors for a little bit and get him stretched out as a starter? As it is, though, I think both are protected by the Orioles. Both are in the AAA rotation to start next year and could really be reinforcements for this team, regardless of whether or not the Orioles are contending next summer. Uh, both of those guys could come up and really help the team out um, over the final months of the season. I think line themselves up for full-time roles in 2022. I'm going to go on the opposite end of the spectrum now to two guys that I mentioned in my piece in September, but I pretty much stated that I did not think would be protected. One of them was eligible for the Rule 5 draft last year, and that's former first-round pick Cody Sedlock. Uh, a year ago, when the Orioles did not protect Sedlock, I thought there was a chance that he was going to get chosen in the Rule 5 draft because he was coming off a strong year between Frederick and Bowie as a reliever after battling injuries for injuries and really just struggling when healthy throughout his professional career. Um, he looked good last year, but ultimately no one protected, uh, chose him in the Rule 5 draft, and I don't see why that would change this year. Um, especially after he did not get time in the alternate training site in Bowie over the summer and was knocked down in Sarasota Instructional League. Brennan Hanafy, um, interesting case, and he's actually relatively young for a Rule 5 prospect at 22. But his last season was 2019 at Frederick. Uncharacteristically struggled with his control. All three of us identified him as a bounce-back candidate coming into 2020 when we thought there was going to be a minor league season. Obviously, there wasn't, and much like with Sedlock, Hanafy didn't really get a chance under the Orioles' development umbrella at Bowie over the summer or Sarasota this fall to uh, develop further. So I don't see either one of them uh, being risked to be taken in the Rule 5 draft, and therefore I don't see either one of them being protected with 40-man roster spots. Um, Bob, any thoughts on those two guys? No, I just basically agree with what you're saying. I mean, even if they have made leaps since then or developed in any way on their own or through the team's guidance over Zoom or whatever, I just don't think there's enough confidence in a team to know that and to be able to take them. So I think, and we were talking about before the show, even lump Gray Fenter into the same category. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to get taken, which is good for the Orioles because they can keep them without having to lock them in. Yeah, definitely no, no chance any team changes their mind about Cody Sidlock and takes him. Uh, Hanafi, yeah, you know, my guy here. Um, but yeah, another easy decision. And I think Elias has said he, his focus is on protecting those guys in the upper levels of the minor leagues. Hanafi is not going to be selected. There's no team out there. It's maybe if, you know, he was averaging, you know, 14, 15 strikeouts a game down in the minor leagues, had this insane strikeout rate, maybe, but he doesn't have the strikeouts. He's a ground ball pitcher. Um, you know, I, 
like you said, I, hopefully, I, I imagine the Orioles have been working with them in some way. Um, I know Hanifi's been throwing out in a cornfield out here down the road, uh, but he's got some new stuff he's ready to show off. Uh, and Sedlock, you know, Sedlock was someone else who I think could have been in the major leagues though at the end of 2020 if we had a full season. Uh, but that injury history is pretty extreme. So yeah, I think both are going to stick around for another year. Yeah, I think Cody Sedlock, like you said, could have been in that Dylan Tate role at the end of 2019 potentially yeah. this year if it was a full year. Yeah, I agree, and especially because he was a guy who, from reports we had read about him over the course of the 2019 season, really seemed to be buying into the more analytics-driven approach that Michael Elias brought over uh, to Baltimore with him from Houston. But, um, again, was not taken last year. I don't see what's going to be different in 2020. I think that uh, if Sedlock is back in the farm system in 2021, which I expect him to be, you're maybe looking at a return to Bowie. If he pitches well and he's healthy, he's probably in the conversation when we get to the final months of the MLB season about getting a look in the bullpen. Uh, Hanafi, again, I think he's a bounce-back candidate next year. Um, maybe gets to push the double A. And this time next year, we might be talking about him as a lock to get protected for a Rule 5 from the Rule 5 draft. But for now, I think the Orioles are safe in leaving both of those guys off the 40-man roster. Um, one player I mentioned in my piece in September is actually no longer part of the organization. That's Brian Gonzalez. I noted at the time that he, he uh, could be eligible for free agency. Ultimately, he signed uh, a minor league contract with the Colorado Rockies last week. So he's no longer in the system. So I'm going to go to the next guy on the list, um, Mason McCoy, an infielder who we were both, all three of us were pretty high on coming into this year because he had shown some success uh, with the bat between Frederick and Bowie at, in 2019, uh, had had a stint in the Arizona Fall League, and it looked like that if he could continue to build that momentum offensively, uh, he could get to the major leagues in uh, 2020, especially with his defense that he can provide at second base and shortstop, which scouts have raved about for years. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Nick. Mason McCoy, um, like most prospects, lost a lot of development time this year. Uh, we don't know how it's going to affect him, but do you think that the Orioles protect him in the Rule 5 draft, or do you think they're going to uh, leave him off the 40-man roster? Yeah, I think that's another one that you pass up on. They didn't invite him to the 60-man roster. They didn't invite him to the instructional leagues. I think we mentioned before, I think he's a pretty safe prospect a guy that you know he has the glove uh, whatever he produces offensively is a bonus i think uh, but the glove is good and you can have the glove down there in norfolk uh, probably a richie martin mason mccoy double play combo next year to start the year uh, and he's down there as a safety net in case someone gets hurt or in case you know the orioles dfa hanser alberto and everybody else and you got pat valeka and mason mccoy next year's double play combo up in the major leagues which i hope not uh, but you know yeah, just a safe prospect, but yeah, he's not going to get protected. No, I don't think he's going to get added. I just think there's too many guys that are derivative of him that are slightly ahead of him that are already on the 40-man roster, like a Richie Martin or a Ramon Urias, Urias who uh, showed up at the end of last year, can play shortstop, second base, and there's a group behind him. So I just think he's going to get caught in that ground where they're going to just hope he passes through and can play every day in AAA and maybe make uh, get his shot next year at some point. I go Noah McCoy as well, and I think that when I considered McCoy, I tried to think of who would be in the market for somebody like Mason McCoy. 
And it's basically, if you're drafting Mason McCoy and you're going to stick him on the roster all year, you have to be comfortable with the glove sticking at both positions in a reserve role and hope that he shows just enough with the bat to justify a spot on the bench. And I just don't know the teams are going to be looking for that kind of reinforcement in the Rule 5 draft, particularly if they already have prospects in their system that are similar uh, to McCoy. And I think that if he had had a full season in 2020 to show what he could do offensively, this conversation would be much different right now. But I think for now, with, between the Orioles' infield depth, potentially the lack of suitors uh, in the Rule 5 draft, the Orioles probably leave McCoy off. I, I wouldn't be completely shocked if somebody took him um, in the Rule 5 draft, but I think overall the Orioles are safe leaving him off, and I think that there are better prospects uh, that they should protect over him. So we'll look now at um, a guy that we talked a little bit about before we went on air because his case has been interesting because if you looked at the stats, you would say, why are you talking about him? He doesn't have much time in the farm system. But some reports uh, from writers who cover the team regularly suggest that the Orioles are really high on this player, and that's catcher Brett Cumberland, who was one of the prospects that came over in the Kevin Galsman darren O'Day trade with the Atlanta Braves back in July 2018. I should note that Cumberland was Rule 5 eligible last year, did not get chosen. The Orioles maybe had hoped that he would be at Bowie or Norfolk in 2020, show a little bit more with the bat. Ultimately, it couldn't happen, but still, you're hearing really positive reviews about uh, him as a guy that the Orioles really value in their organization. So I suspect this is going to be a, a close call for some of us. And Bob, I know it's a close call for you, right? Yeah, actually, I think this is like the dark horse candidate that might surprise some people come Friday if they decide to put him on, mainly because of what you said with the reporters citing that he's been singled out as a guy that's having had a successful camp this summer. And he's a guy that gets on base. He's got power potential. And if you look at the catchers on the 40-man roster right now, it's of course, it's Chance Sisko and Pedro Severino. But the only other catcher is Austin Wins, who is just clearly... I think going to get DFA'd at some point. I don't think he's going to appear for the Orioles again. If he was, it would have happened in 2020. Instead, they had guys like Brian Holiday and um, Taylor something uh, ahead of him on a depth chart, I think. So I just think that if they feel like they want to have three catchers on the 40-man roster to start the year, he might be a guy that uh, could fill that role. I don't think it's likely, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Yeah, the reports are definitely positive. I could probably see just because this organization seems to really love Austin Wins, but I could see them maybe sticking with Wins for now. Uh, I think it was was it Holiday or, or Taylor Davis? I think that was his last name. We yes, were talking that's about. right. That's right. Yeah, uh, one of them I know just resigned with the Orioles. I can't remember which one. Um, that's bad prep. But I think it was Davis. It might have been. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, so yeah, they've got guys coming back on minor league deals. Uh, you know, I think I don't think Cumberland gets protected ahead of the Rule Five draft, but I think at some point soon, if he takes off, maybe if he starts the year Bowie or Norfolk, if he takes off, I think you probably see an Austin wins DFA at that point, and then you see Cumberland come up. I'm thinking maybe a Pedro Severino or Chancisco trade at next year's trade deadline, 
and then you bring up Cumberland and whoever doesn't get traded. And then September, you've got Adley Rutschman maybe making a debut. And then 2022, a Rutschman and Cumberland combo until maybe someone else steps up. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that could I think that's the future for Brett Cumberland, hopefully, if it all pans out. But the reports are definitely positive, and, and it'd be nice. I know that he gets on base at an extreme rate, but I think it's just been injuries since he's joined the Orioles. But sounds like he's healthy and ready to go for next year. Yeah, and uh, to point underscore his patience, he had a 14.6 walk rate over 41 games at Bowie in 2019. Um, he ultimately fell just short for me. I feel like that... First off, the Orioles can probably get him through the Rule 5 draft without him being chosen because of the injury history, because of his reputation, kind of as a bat-first catcher um, and someone who hasn't really been healthy enough to show what he can do at the plate in the higher level of the minor leagues. I feel like the Orioles can afford to not protect him, but I wouldn't be shocked if by July 1st he's on the 40-man roster because... You know, some you know Severino or Cisco has been traded, or one of them gets hurt, or whatever it may be. I think Cumberland definitely has a future in this organization. I could see him on the 40-man roster. I just don't think it's going to be an urgent move. And I think that if we see any action with the catcher section of the 40-man roster between now and spring training, it might be to bring in an older guy, a Brian Holiday type, who has a lot of major league experience particularly if we're looking at expanded rosters at the start of the 2021 season. So if we're looking at 28 or 30 player rosters, um, at least for the first month or two, then I'd have to think Brian Holiday or somebody similar would be on the 40-man roster ahead of Cumberland and ahead of Austin Wins. That might be the point where you actually see Austin Wins DFA'd. But for right now, I think they leave Cumberland off. I don't see him being a factor uh, in the upcoming 40-man roster decisions. And there's actually a couple interesting non-tender candidates at the catcher position between Gary Sanchez, the big name, and even Austin Hedges. So could be an interesting position to watch. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And one thing we're going to discuss in a little bit here is some of the players that the Orioles could non-tender. And in fact, MLBTradeRumors.com, which does really good coverage on the arbitration and non-tender process um, in Major League Baseball, actually identified Pedro Severino as a non-tender candidate. Um, I stand by my opinion that I expressed on a show back in September, which is that Severino will get tendered a contract, but uh, still something to watch uh, over the next few days. So I'm going to go now to what I think might be the most divisive player on the show, although I could be wrong, and that's Alex Wells. In most years, we would be talking about Alex Wells as a lock to be protected from the, 40, uh, from the Rule 5 draft and be given a 40-man roster spot. But with uh, Zach Lothar on this list, Michael Ballman on this list, and Bruce Zimmerman, another lefty who the Orioles actually added to the 40-man roster at the end of the 2020 season when he made his Major League debut, Wells finds himself on the bubble here a little bit. Um, and I think it's definitely an open question as to whether he gets protected from the Rule 5 draft. So, Nick, I'll start with you. Do you think that the Orioles ultimately protect Wells? and uh, give him a 40-man roster spot? My heart says yes, but my head says no, I think. I've thought about this one the most, and I can be persuaded either way, to be totally honest. I'm not... My position isn't set in stone right now with Alex Wells. Um, He's honestly probably the one minor league pitcher currently in the system 
that I've watched pitch live more than anyone else. And so I, I've got this, you know, fascination with Alex Wells. Maybe it's the Aussie in him. I don't know. But I want him to succeed so bad. And like you said, two years ago, if we were talking about Alex Wells in this situation, he'd be a definite lock. But I think there's just so much more talent in the organization now. Um, I'm having trouble imagining where he fits in the system in two, three years. You know, is he going to be competing for a starting rotation spot? I don't think so. We've seen the gains from Bauman. We've seen the gains from Aiken. Uh, Kramer, we've seen these guys, and there's a lot more younger, exciting guys uh, beneath him. Um, you know, he's a good depth piece, I think, to have. He can start in a pinch. He can give you a few innings out of the bullpen in a long relief role. But I think this year, if if he is left unprotected and somebody does grab him, um, you know, my reaction is going to be different than if we were talking about this two years ago. Uh, you know, I, I want to see him stick around, but is he worth a 40-man roster spot? I'm not quite sure, but I'm, I'm going to say no, that he doesn't get protected. Yeah, on well, my projections, I have actually the Orioles protecting seven guys, So, and Alexander Wells was number seven on that. So I do think he will be protected, but if they're going to leave one of those seven off, I think it would be him. But I just don't see Elias as a guy who's going to let a top 30 prospect go that easily. And there are plenty of guys on the 40-man roster, Cole Saucer, Travis Lakin Sr. And to me, Alexander Wells, what's the worst he could do? Maybe be a left-handed Thomas Eshelman? So just swap him on that 40-man roster right there. I just think, worst case, he could be a mop-up guy, or he could just be a guy that you can either work in relief with a spot start, an opener. He works fast. Yeah, he doesn't throw hard, but he mixes his pitches. I think he's you got to give him a chance. And ultimately, I just I think Elias is all about building that talent pipeline and the depth and as many options as possible. And I think Alexander Wells could be a, a good option for the Orioles. I think my opinion is very similar to Bob's, but I ultimately left Wells off my list. Um, I At the end of the day, I had a hard time making room for him, just knowing that there may need to be some roster flexibility on the other side of the Rule 5 draft uh, to add more experienced pitchers as we get closer to spring training. Um, as I mentioned, I think that there's a lot of similar, not necessarily similar types of prospects, but a lot of pitching prospects that are close to Major League ready, probably closer to Major League ready than Wells is at this point, that are either already on the 40-man roster or are going to need to be added now. So ultimately, Wells fell just short for me. I, I don't think the Orioles are going to protect him. Honestly, though, if they do protect him, they find room for him, I'll be a little bit relieved, because I do think there is a chance that they would lose him, just because he is a consensus top 30 guy. I do want to throw this out, though, to counter the point that I just made. He's not a guy who have, brings a lot to the table in terms of velocity. His ceiling is probably that of a swingman who might be a back-of-the-rotation starter in the right setting. Do you think that teams are going to look at him and think, well, he doesn't really have a plus pitch, he doesn't throw hard, we can find somebody that we don't have to keep on our major league roster all year um, to do the exact same thing? So we'll pass on him in the Rule 5 draft, or are they going to look at the overall track record and think, well, we need bullpen help. It's nice to have a lefty. Let's take Alex Wells. I think he'll get taken if he's not protected. I think someone will take him. Whether he lasts a whole year, that's another question, but I just think he's a left-handed arm. It, rosters will most likely be expanded again, 26-man, I'm assuming maybe even a little bit more in the beginning of the year. 
He's versatile. I feel like he could be used in a lot of different ways. He could be hidden. Uh, I do think he'll get taken if we don't protect him. Yeah, I, I mentioned before, I think when we talked about this, that for whatever reason, the Seattle Mariners really stick out to me. They've said they want multiple relievers. Uh, and we know Jerry Depoto, like Jerry Depoto and AJ Preller, when, when they're out there, not that Wells would go to the Padres at all, but you got general managers like that out there selecting this Rule 5 draft. We don't know. There's so many just random lurking variables out there in 2020. Who knows? But I think the one thing you can point to is, though, he just doesn't walk anybody. Uh, I think he did. In Frederick, he really struggled. And that's where I, I watched a lot of him. But when he struggled against lineups with against like Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal, like those types of hitters, he did struggle against those guys and he got hit pretty hard. Uh, but he just doesn't walk anybody. He has that pinpoint control. Some of the best command control in minor, all of minor league baseball, I think. Uh, so teams could look at that and say, you know, he's not going to strike guys out, but he's not going to walk anybody. And if we have a good defense behind him, if, if we can tweak him a little bit, we can probably stash him on our expanded roster for a year and, and keep him. And it's a cost nothing, what, $100,000, which is nothing. So there's definitely an argument for teams taking him. So. Yeah, that's... That's a guy that I think is going to be a really close call, and I'll be curious to see what happens. Like I said, I ultimately don't think he's going to be protected, but there's a part of me that will be relieved if the Orioles end up squeezing out an extra 40-man roster spot to get him on there. Um, so for me, that would basically mean that they'd have to have seven 40-man uh, roster spots open, plus potentially a few more to give themselves some wiggle room as the offseason goes on. Uh we're going to go with another pitcher here, and that is uh, right-handed reliever Isaac Matson, a player that all three of us expected would be in the major leagues um, sometime late in 2020 because he was at the alternate training site in Bowie. Ultimately, though, it seemed like the Orioles never really had an opening for him. Um, I, it's presumably because some pitchers in the bullpen really exceeded expectations this year. But Matson now finds himself Rule 5 eligible. Um, and by the way, he was one of the prospects acquired from the Los Angeles Angels last year in the Dylan Bundy trade. So I'll start with you, Bob. Do you think that Matson is uh, protected? I do. I think he's one of my locks. Uh, I had him number five out of the seven that I think will be protected. I just think he's a guy strikes batters out at all levels that he pitched in. He has experience at AAA in 2019, not to mention all of 2020 working at the alternate site. I just feel like this is a guy that you can slot into the bullpen even on opening day 2021, but if not, he'll be readily available at AAA Norfolk or wherever AAA is and ready on a moment's notice. This seems like an Elias profile guy. He targeted him in that Bundy trade as well as some other people, so I think there's no chance he's not on the 40-man roster. You got to protect him. Uh, this is someone who's definitely going to get selected, I think, in the draft. You know, we don't have you don't see too many guys get selected. And I know in Steve Molesky's article, he, he mentioned the kind of decreasing numbers of people being selected in the Rule 5 draft. But in this market, uh, when teams aren't looking to spend very much money, although that's what we're being told, but like the Braves spent $11 million on Drew Smiley. So I don't know if that narrative is going to hold up. But like you, like Bob said with Matson, he's got, just in 2019, he made three different stops. And he struck out 40% of batters in high A, 35% of batters in double A, and 45% of batters in triple A. That was only like nine innings, but still. High strikeout guy. Did spend all year at the alternate site. He's got that work. Um, the Orioles' bullpen is good, but they are going to need more arms to get through a 162-game schedule. You want to see some type of return on that Dylan Bundy trade, so you're not going to let this guy walk. Your most major league graded guy from that return just walk. Um, 
even if you're a team like a, a playoff team, you know, like uh, Yankees or Rays, and I doubt it'd be one of them, but one of these playoff teams sees Isaac Matson available on the back end of, of the Rule 5 draft, you have to imagine they may take a risk on him as well, not just a rebuilding team, because, again, that's a super cheap option and someone that is major league ready. So I do agree, though, that this is someone who's probably going to be in the bullpen on opening day and a member of this active roster, so you got to lock him down. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you, and I think that Matson, because of the fact he came over in the Bundy trade, he's the most major league ready of the three prospects that came to the Orioles in that deal. He spent all summer at Bowie, and I, like I said, I think the only reason we didn't see him is just because there really was not an opening for that mid-to-late-inning right-handed reliever, um, whereas the Orioles seemed like they needed help more with spot starters and that sort of thing. Matson didn't quite fit in, but I don't think that really has any bearing on how the organization views him long-term. I fully expect he's going to get protected, and I think that he's very much in line to be competing for an opening day roster spot. And even if he does not make the club on opening day next year, I have to think he's only in AAA a very short time before he's called upon. I, I think that this guy is very certain to uh, be protected. I should note, we did actually not list him on our top 30 prospect list in July. He kind of fell just outside that group for us. Uh, we're going to update that list sometime in the next uh, month or so, probably month or two, but I'd have to think if Matson gets protected, he's somewhere in the top 30. Or at least close, or at least, yeah, knocking on the door. He's going to be a presence on this team, in my opinion. Definitely. High floor guy. And if anything, there are three other guys in this trade. I'm going to beat the Kyle Burnovich drum until he proves otherwise when he finally makes his debut. But I guess Madsen's the most major league ready, and I think... When you look at this bullpen next year, you're going to have openings. Uh, is Charm Armstrong DFA'd? Uh, is how long can Cesar Valdez go next year? Uh, the Royals are going to need bullpen arms, so yeah, I think Matson's going to be one of the first in line for that promotion. So I'm going to move on now to a player that um, has widely uh, been viewed as someone who will be protected, although there was a counter-argument published by Dan Connolly at The Athletic. Um, earlier this week that I am going to read in a moment. But the player I'm talking about is Ryland Bannon, uh, the infielder acquired in the Manny Machado trade from the Los Angeles Dodgers back in July 2018. Someone that all three of us, again, thought would probably be in the major leagues in 2020 had there been a full season. As it is, though, he's probably knocking on the door at worst as a utility type that either could be on the roster come opening day if the Orioles open up enough spots in their infield or could be one of the first promoted from AAA if there's an opening. But the question here and now is, is he going to be protected uh, from the Rule 5 draft and given a 40-man roster spot? I'll start with you, Nick. I'm going to say yes, absolutely. Um, there, that is that point that Dan Connolly brought up uh, that we could talk about, but in my opinion, the Orioles aren't in a position to let talent just walk away. Kind of like what Bob mentioned earlier when talking about Alex Wells. Uh, that is a really good point that especially when you're talking about a utility player like Bannon you can't let him walk away uh, just because I mean how much longer are we going to let Rio Ruiz try to figure things out at third base I, I don't know Bannon can play second he can play third apparently he's working out behind the plate now I know there was a, a tidbit somewhere like buried in a MLB trade rumors piece I saw like a month or so ago um I, I don't remember who originally reported it, but if he's working behind the plate, the Orioles are trying to find every avenue possible for him to find some way on the field. 
I think he can also play in the outfield. I think he's athletic enough. You put him in left field maybe a little bit if you really need him to, to let him stick around a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, you compare him to, like, a real Ruiz, who would you rather have? Um, it could be Bannon if that bat uh, finds some success at the major league level. Uh, you look at some of the other utility guys. You know, Stevie Wilkerson is back, and, and I know people, Orioles fans love Stevie Wilkerson, but I like Bannon's bat a lot more. And Bannon can play multiple positions as well. And also, just if you look at some of the younger prospects, if you look at third-base prospects, I mean, that are close to the majors, the closest guys you've got are J.C. Encarnacion and Toby Welk, who are years away from making the major leagues. I don't think Encarnacion's ever going to sniff the major leagues, but Toby Welk only has 50 professional games under his belt. You look at second base, there are guys like Taron Vavra, Greg Cullen, Graffinino, Mason McCoy, like we said, but I think Ryland Bannon is a step above all of those guys, except maybe Taron Vavra. Um, so yeah, when you compare him there, you've got to keep Bannon on this roster for next year. Yeah, absolutely. I could not disagree more with Dan Conley's take that he says he's not likely to get added to the 40 man. That's crazy to me. This is a guy, again, just like Wells, a top 30 prospect in the organization who to me is just a clear bridge from the Rio Ruiz and Hanser Albertos of the world to the Jordan Westbergs and, you know, the, this year's draft class and all that's, you know, Adam Hall even of the world. It's like he's just a necessary guy to have. At third base, most mostly, but also could play second base if needed. And at worst case, he's a nice utility guy to have a bat off the bench. I just he might be non-tendered in his first or second RB year, but I think he's definitely a guy that the team is going to want in his pre-arbitration years. Yeah, I have Bannon protected as well. I just think that there is he offers too much upside long term, but then also fills an immediate need. And I think that when you look at those factors. You definitely have to protect him because Real Ruiz could struggle if Yomer Sanchez or Hunter Alberto, provided that Alberto's not non-tendered, um, which we're going to discuss in a little bit, um, provided that those guys are around but they struggle, um, you're going to have an opening at second base. You could have an opening at third base. If nothing else, I still think Bannon makes an appearance later in the year as a guy who gives you a good bat off the bench. By then, maybe you've expanded um, the number of positions he could play to put him in a corner outfield spot. Maybe he becomes your emergency catcher on top of that. But I think they protect Bannon um, with a 40-man roster spot. I will read what Dan Connolly wrote, though. Um, in a piece on Monday, he broke down the players that were eligible for the Rule 5 draft. He put them into um, basically categories of the no-brainers, the definite maybes, and long shots. Bannon was the first player he mentioned under long shots. And here's what he wrote. Bannon is another player of the Orioles is another one of the players the Orioles received in the Machado trade from the Dodgers. He is not particularly heralded, but he's proven to be a solid minor leaguer who exceeded offensive expectations in his brief call up to AAA in twenty nineteen. Three seventeen, three forty four, five forty nine triple slash line in twenty games for Norfolk. The problem for Bannon is every organization has a couple of these guys. Heady, gamer utility types. The Orioles have another one in Mason McCoy, who is also Rule 5 eligible. So it's likely a team would rather add its own to the 40-man than grab one from another organization, especially one who is not considered a legitimate shortstop option, which is what teams prefer in utility players. That's not to say Bannon won't be in the majors next season, but I think it's more likely he'll be with the Orioles if a need arises. So... My sense, is, my sense is he isn't added. 
Just so wrong. I mean, Mason McCoy is such a different player than Bannon. I don't even know how you can compare the two. Yeah, I don't know. That seems crazy to me. I mean, I I get where he's coming from. And yeah, every team does have probably multiple versions of Rylan Bannon in their system or on their active roster, especially teams like the Tigers and Royals and Pirates who are going to draft early in this Rule 5 draft. They have multiple Rylan Bannons, so they may not take him. But I just look at it from a point that you don't want to risk that here. Even if six guys get drafted in this this year's Rule 5 draft, we don't know what's going to play out because we don't know what rosters are going to look like. There's so many unknowns uh, every week. We don't even know what how many games teams are going to play next year. You know That changed after – so many rules changed after first pitch last season that that's probably going to happen again. Uh, you know, the, On the pandemic front, things are looking a lot – not looking great now, but future, immediate <laughs> future. Yeah. Yeah. There, is, there is a much brighter light at the end of the tunnel right now, but there's so many unknowns that in this Rule 5 draft, I know a lot of people just ignore it. A lot of people may not even know how it works or just poo-poo it away, but – uh, it's another avenue that teams are going to use to try to find super cheap talent. And if there's a risk that Bannon could leave, who's going to play third base for the Orioles? Like, who's going to fill in that role? You're going to have Stevie Wilkerson, God love him, and his 175 batting average playing 90 games for the Orioles next year. And I'd much and, rather see Bannon. Yeah. And he's, Dan said it himself. He thinks he's going to be in the majors in 2021. So why wouldn't yeah. you just put him on there right now if you already know he's going to be in there that's yeah yeah just poor argument to me cut right to the inevitable so i i think that bannon is going to get protected and i just think that everything the orioles have done with him so far including putting him at buoy then putting him in sarasota for the instructional league points to we see this as someone who can help us in the very <clears throat> near future not to mention that i think the fact that he came over in that machado deal which we're now finally starting to see some uh benefits from with dean kramer but the fact is, you have a chance to capture four players that could be contributors at the major league level in some form. Um, in Kramer, uh, Eusenio Diaz, and Bannon, and then Zach Pop, who we're going to discuss in a second. But I, I think that Bannon absolutely gets protected. I, I would be really surprised. I don't, you know, I understand where Dan Connolly's coming from with his argument, but I really expect that Bannon's going to get protected. I think the Orioles just are too high on him. He has too much of he offers too much to the team immediately to be left off, and I do think that teams, particularly toward the middle of the rule first round of the rule five draft, would look at Bannon and see a fairly advanced hitter who can step in at multiple positions, help their team next year, and I absolutely think he'd get chosen for that reason. And they also sent him to the Arizona Fall League, so they clearly like what they see from him. Right. Yeah, that's true. He was sent there last year, so I, I think that. Bannon definitely is somebody the Orioles are high on, and I, I don't think they're going to risk losing him. So we will now move on to Zach Pop. My personal opinion that is that of the relief-type pitchers uh, on this list, Bannon, or Pop, excuse me, has the highest ceiling of the group, but he also has not pitched in almost two years. Um, as he underwent Tommy John surgery uh, early in the 2019 season, reports... Um, Kind of over the final months, of the, the final month or so, of the 2020 um, MLB regular season, where that pop was coming along in his rehab, but still a lot of unknowns as he recovers from Tommy John surgery. So I'll start with you, Nick. Do you think that the Orioles view Pop as too risky to guarantee a Rule Five spot, or do they view it as too much of a risk that he will get chosen by another team in the Rule Five draft and ultimately protect him? 
This is a tough one, and uh, I'm not entirely sure, mostly because, again, like I said, there's so many random variables out there that we don't know how teams are going to attack this, but he's definitely a guy that, when I think about the future Orioles bullpen, if you think, let's say, that John Mueller's prophecy comes true and Michael Bauman's the closer in 2024, with Michael Bauman, Hunter Harvey, Zach Pop at the back end of your bullpen, there's also Tanner Scott, who really turned a corner last year with the Orioles. Uh, four just electric arms in the back of the bullpen. Uh, that gets me really excited. Uh, but he hasn't pitched in so long. There's no. I know he's fully healthy. There's a report what in you know, September or something. I think that Rakabako had interviewed him, and he said he's healthy. He's up in Canada where he lives, and he's been uh, progressing well and ready to go for spring training. But like I said, it's been so long since he's pitched. Can teams stash him away on their active roster to fulfill the requirement? Maybe he's a guy you probably bring in with two outs in a low leverage inning and say, "Get this one out." All right, you pitched for us. Now your day is done. Uh, and hide him that way, especially if there's expanded rosters. Um, but, you know, again, are teams going to risk that? I, I don't know. Are you going to want to put Zach Pop, who hasn't pitched in so long, recovered from Tommy John surgery, right in, onto a major league mound, even if it is in a low leverage situation, to try to hide him? I don't think so. So do the Orioles protect him? It's a very tough question, but I'm going to put my money on no, just because they think they can win this gamble and he sticks around. I can definitely understand your argument, Nick. Um, that gamble could definitely pay out, pay off. Uh, it might even be most likely that no one takes him. But to me, his upside is an elite closer. So I'm not taking that chance, even if it's like a 10% chance. So personally, I think he'll be added to the 40-man. He's my number six. Um, but I would not be shocked if he was not. I just, To me, he's a guy I love, and I don't want to see him go anywhere. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Bob. I I would protect him. I do think that it's far from settled that he will be protected just because of the fact that he has not pitched in almost two years, and the Orioles may feel like they can slide him through. So if they're looking at the more immediate picture, and they think, well, we are going to lose Alex, we're going to lose Alex Wells if we don't protect him, whereas it's less than certain we will lose Pop. Wells might get the 40-man roster spot now, even though I think long-term, Pop is the better prospect. Um, ultimately, I, I just think he's going to get protected because the upside is too great. I also question the factor that he came in in that Machado deal, even though that was not Michael Elias' trade, that was Dan Duquette's, is going to help him here. I would have to think that if Pop is healthy, the Orioles probably go a little conservative, but that you still see him maybe by July or August of next year, somewhere in that range. The other thing that I kept lingering in the back of my mind when I thought about Pop was how other teams might perceive him. And I questioned if, could you get a perfect storm where you had either expanded rosters and the ability to really hide him in the early part of the year, whether that means putting him on the IL for a few weeks and then bringing him back, or, you know, he's your 30th man on the roster and you just slowly bring him along the bullpen as time goes on. Or, and I, I admit fully that I don't have an organization in particular in mind when I say this, but what if you had a team in the Rule 5 draft that needs bullpen help, felt like they could bring him back from Tommy John's surgery successfully, know how to use him for the first few months of 2021, then get on the other side of that and say, hey, we just got a really high upside closer in the Rule 5 draft. What a steal. That was where that scenario just kept coming back to me. And that was why at the end, at the end, I went ahead and protected Pop. 
if this were based fully on the immediate picture, I would probably put Wells over Pop. But I think if you're going to look at the long-term play and you're going to look at how an organization is going to perceive him when you get, you know, say halfway into the 2021 season and later, if they feel like Pop is healthy and he's productive, you just lost a really high upside reliever because someone in the Rule 5 draft was willing to take that gamble and they found a way early on to hide him a little bit. So I, I just think that the Orioles aren't going to be willing to take that risk and they're going to protect him and I think they should. Yeah, that's my fear as well. Yeah, you, you can definitely hide him. And I think, didn't when the Orioles take Santander, you guys may remember better than I do. I mean, wasn't he on and off the injury list uh, a lot? So you can, I'm sure you can play that game. I think I read somewhere where Major League Baseball is eyeing that a little more closely now. Uh, so teams can't uh, manipulate that rule. But, I mean, I was kind of looking at potential targets of the, the Orioles could select in this draft, which I realized was kind of ridiculous right now just because we can wait till after the list is we find out who's protected or not. But and there's a talk of, you know, San Francisco Giants outfielder, one of their top outfield prospects. Uh, his name is Alexander Canario. Uh, huge home run guy, a lot of strikeouts, but a high potential guy. And I viewed him as someone like, well, the Orioles could definitely do that with somebody. Maybe not him specifically, but I played that same scenario out in my head with Orioles taking other guys and doing that. So I definitely see another team doing that with Zach Pop. Um, I, if it feels up to me, I would definitely protect him. I had six that I would protect with for sure if this is my decision. I'm protecting six, and Zach Pop is one of those guys. But I think for I, I don't I don't know if Michael Ice is going to do it. I, I just don't know. Yeah, it's tough. We'll find out in about 48 hours. <laughs> yep. So I think like a team could even draft him, take him into spring training, IL him, and then do a rehab assignment in AAA. So it's almost like the same thing, yeah. yeah. That's what I'd be scared of. Yeah, and then there is the, the complicated question that we don't have the answer to right now, which is when does the minor league season actually start? So in theory, could you bury Pop on your injured list for a whole month until the AAA season starts? Because now AAA starts... With, along with the rest of minor league baseball at the beginning of May rather than the beginning of April. Um, so that's another complicating factor that we're not going to know the answer to for a while. But I, I think ultimately Pop uh, gets gets protected. So just to recap here, and Nick and Bob, correct me if I'm wrong as we go along. I have six protected. Bob has seven. And then Nick, you have five, I guess, with... Yeah, I'm going to say five. I'm leaning on the fence with two of them, but mark me down for five. So I'm going to start with Bob. Just give us a quick recap of who you protected and how you have cleared uh, 40-man roster spaces for them because you're going to have to clear at least two beyond the five that are already there. And I know from talking to you prior to the show, you're ready to do that. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to cut up to nine people. No. Um, so I'm going to be protecting Yusniel Diaz, Michael Bauman, Zach Lothar, Ryan, Ryland Bannon and Isaac Matson don't need to clear anything for them. Then I'm going to add Zach Pop and Alexander Wells. I'll take off Thomas Eshelman and Cole Saucer for them. And then I think you can easily chop off Travis Lakin Sr. and Austin Wins if you want to make some more moves in the offseason. Yeah, so let's see. I only have five. There's 35 uh, guys on the roster right now, so I don't have to clear anybody. But uh, guys are definitely going to be cleared. I think if the Orioles do decide to keep Alex Wells, and if I needed to keep two extra guys, I would definitely say Cole Sulcer. 
gets the boot. I think he gets DFA'd, and maybe they try to sneak him back through. I don't know. I imagine he'd probably pass waivers, and the Orioles could keep him. Uh, Eshelman is probably the same. I think you can DFA him and keep him in the organization as well. Uh, do the Orioles tender a contract to Sean Armstrong? I hope they do, but he's a non-tender candidate as well. Uh, and then, yeah, you look at guys like Pat Vileka. I, yeah, I think he's the first one on this roster that, that I get rid of. Um, Chris Davis obviously being number one, but that's not going to happen. So Pat Vileka for sure. Um, I, I think there's about four or five guys on this 40 match you can get rid of. And, and you add, so that le- does leave room for you to add up to six or seven guys from this Rule 5 class, plus sign a guy in the Rule 5 draft and bring in a, a free agent or two pretty easily. So I had uh, six protectors I mentioned earlier. That's Ballman, Lothar, Diaz, Matson, Bannon, and Pop. So I also wanted to go ahead and clear a few extra roster spots, even though I was only one over. I non-tendered Pat Vileka. I DFA'd Cole Saucer. Um, I DFA'd Ramon Urias. Um, just because I don't know now what's Richie Martin probably healthy at the start of the 2021 season, that the Orioles are going to need him and Richie Martin on the 40-man roster. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there, and I know it, it might cause some controversy, but ultimately I think the Orioles are going to non-tender Renato Nunez. Uh, if you go off of MLB trade rumors projections, uh, they have Nunez projected to earn $2.1 million through arbitration. Hondra Alberto projected at 2.6. I don't know that the Orioles are ultimately going to tie up close to $5 million in those two players. And if I had to guess which one is going is more likely to be protected, I think it's Alberto because of the versatility he offers defensively. The fact that you could put it, plug him in at second or third, I wouldn't be entirely shocked if he was non-tender, but my gut tells me the Orioles are going to tender him a contract. And I think Renato Nunez would be ultimately non-tender. I thought that by now we would have clarity on whether or not there's going to be a DH in the National League. Because if there is a DH in the National League, that increases Nunez's trade value. But right now we don't have the answer to that question. So I, I ultimately non-tendered him. So that leaves a few 40-man roster spots open for moves that I expect the Orioles to make, which will be adding more pitching depth close to spring training. Uh, on major league deals, and like I mentioned, the possibility of bringing in another catcher. That may coincide with Austin Wins being DFA'd, but I think that I ultimately I have enough room for them to uh, add the catcher without DFA and Wins at least initially. So I, I think the Orioles are going to make some more cuts to the 40-man. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I do think there's a good chance Pat Valleca and Hinato Nunez are non-tendered, and I think Elias is going to desperately try to trade Hanato Nunez for the next Easton Lucas over the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me. That's how we see things playing out with the 40-man roster and the Rule 5 eligible prospects. By Friday, we'll know the answer. But in the meantime, uh, still a lot of uh, unanswered questions as the Orioles take what I think is really the most talented Rule 5 draft, uh, Rule 5 eligible class of players that this organization has had in a long time and tries to sort that out. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch. I wanted to get into a more general discussion on the Rule 5 draft. As Nick mentioned, we could kind of take a look at who the Orioles are going to potentially pick um, with the number 5 spot in the Rule 5 draft, but right now we still don't know who other organizations have protected. So 
I'm just going to throw this out in a general sense, and I'll start with Nick. What areas of the roster do you think the Orioles will look for help in, in the Rule 5 draft? Do you think this is going to be an area for them to improve the bullpen? Uh, maybe find another candidate for fifth starter, or do you think they're looking more at the bench uh, as far as their position players go? I could, I don't know. They claim Yomer Sanchez. They have Ramon Arias on the roster for right now, plus Pat Vileko for right now. So it, I guess it depends on what they plan on doing with some of those utility-type guys. Uh, I think this year's Rule 5 draft, if they make a pick, is going to be a lot like last year where they go after pitchers. Um, you know, Outfield's pretty set. You don't need to bring in another outfielder right now. Uh, you don't need to bring in a catcher, I think, in the rule f- one of these Rule 5 guys. There are plenty of you know these older veterans you can bring in if you do want to bring in another body behind the plate. But I think it's going to be the same. You bring in They brought in Brandon Bailey and Michael Rucker last year. I think you sign at least one in the draft and then say, all right, go out and compete in spring training whenever that starts. And if he's one of your top options, whether it's a starter or reliever, uh, either way, if he's one of your top options, you keep him around. And if not, you send him back. No harm, no foul. Doesn't really cost you much. Um, you know, I don't know if they're looking for another Richie Martin type. They saw Richie Martin in the system. So I think it's definitely going to be pitcher. Like I said, I, I don't know how much you're going to get at Cesar Valdez next year. I know we all love him. Uh, but can he hold up for 162 games? I don't know. I think you can move on probably from Travis Lakins and Cole Sulcer. Uh, so this is going to be, uh, we know the Orioles aren't going to spend money in free agency. Uh, so maybe you got, you grab a, a younger arm that's left unprotected uh, and you add it, add him to your roster. I think it's going to be a pitcher though. My hot take is they're going to pass and not take anybody, but if they do, it's definitely going to be an arm to me. Maybe like just a power arm, right-handed or left-handed, doesn't matter that they can try to sneak into the bullpen, like Nick said, but I I wouldn't be surprised if they don't take anybody for the first time in forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Bob. I think that's, that's a real possibility. I think that if they do take somebody, it's going to be a reliever, just because I think that by the time they sort out which players are going to protect, they're mostly going to be set at the position player spots because, you know, if Richie Martin and Ryland Bannon are on the 40-man roster and if they don't DFA Ramon Urias, that's more, you have, you're covering the infield at that point. Um, the outfield is going to get left intact as it is right now, and then you're going to add Diaz to that. So there's no need to bring in an outfielder unless there's just a player sitting there that you can't refuse, you know, you can't possibly pass up which I don't think is going to happen. Um, so I think that if they do take someone, it's going to be for pitching depth. It's going to be for another reliever. Someone's going to come in and compete for maybe the you know a middle innings uh, spot. Uh, whether it's a righty or a lefty remains to be seen, but I think that that's where the Orioles will go if they do pick someone. I want to throw this out there too because we're still facing a lot of questions about this offseason, um, particularly how much teams are willing to spend. Nick noted the Drew Smiley signing with the Braves earlier, which does seem to throw that narrative off. Not to mention that we still don't know how much money Steve Cohen's going to throw into the Mets roster. And, by the way, today he got an extra $24 million to spend for 2021 uh, because of Robinson Cano's suspension for the full season. But um, I, it's about $24 million. I think it's a little bit less than that the Mets actually had to owe. But um, we still don't know a lot about the offseason, but do you expect this to be a particularly busy Rule 5 draft because teams are looking for help and they're looking for help at the league minimum? Or do you think it's going to be a Rule 5 draft where we see a lot of teams pass because they feel like, well, why tie that money and that roster spot up 
and someone who's outside my organization, why not just look further down the ranks and see if I can bring someone to compete for a roster spot in spring training and make the Blues a 40-man roster then? I really have no idea. If I had to guess, I know you're looking at a what a lot of people think is going to be a really long list of non-tenders coming up, and I think that's in like two weeks, I think from today or yesterday, when the non-tender deadline is. Uh, so I think if teams know that that's going to be kind of the unofficial start to the offseason here, if teams know that list is going to be big and you're going to see a lot of good names, I mean, you could probably see a name like Kyle Schwarber uh, available in that list. Uh, if, you see, if you know that list is going to be deep, maybe you pull from more major league type guys instead of wasting a roster spot on someone you're trying to maybe hide who can't go out there and be in the lineup every single day for you. Uh, I could definitely see you know, single-digit guys getting selected in this year's draft. But, again, who knows? It, it, it's still going to be 2020 when they have this draft. So Forrest Whitley could go remain unprotected. Who knows? Let's just get weird with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think it's going to be less people taking in a Rule 5 draft just because I think I mean, it's only $100,000 for a baseball team. That's nothing. But these cheapskate owners, they might even be like, well, we can just sign someone on a minor league contract and then put them on for the minimum. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's only a couple people taken overall. Yeah, it it could go either way. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think the non-tender, how many players are non-tender, I think everybody's kind of expecting that's going to be a much deeper pool than usual. I mean... When you have an, an outlet like MLB Trade Rumors putting Chris Bryant on the non-tender candidate list, and you look at it and you think, it's probably not going to happen, but it's also not so much of an outside possibility that you shouldn't note it, that tells you kind of where we are expectation-wise for the offseason. And the Cubs say they're getting rid of everybody. Like, everybody's up for trade, and they're going to have this mass, massive roster turnover. So, yeah, you just looking at the list, I mean, guys like Tommy Pham could be available. Are the Padres going to pay him $8 million? I don't know. I think Kyle Schwarber would be available. Eddie Rosario, uh, so many outfielders, not that the Orioles need these. Uh, pitching, not so much. Uh, but you know, there's so many guys on that list that I think teams are looking at a pretty weak free agent class in a lot of positions, but the non-tender class could really beef that up a little bit. So I think that's where a lot of the focus will probably be. And I saw Chris Bryan is on the non-tender list. That's hilarious to me because they just fought so hard to get that extra year of control. I kind of hope that happens. Yeah, there would be some weird irony there. I do think he's probably the one of the, you know, as far as the pool of players who get traded um, at the top of that. But he had a, struggled in 2020. Um, I feel like catcher in particular could get really deep. Um, if Gary Sanchez is non-tendered, which I think if the Yankees do that, it could be a prelude to a JT Real Muto signing. Um, he would certainly be someone that in a normal, in different circumstances, I would want the Orioles to take a flyer on. As it is with Adley Rutzman coming up and the catcher position already set, I'm okay with passing on Sanchez. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, and like I said, Austin Hedges is a guy who is known for great defense, at least. So maybe that's a guy you want to pair with Adley Rutschman as a defensive backup. 
phenomenal defense watching him so much with the Padres he can't hit anything uh he did homer he did pit, uh perform pretty well when the Padres came to Camden Yards uh, what two years ago now uh but yeah phenomenal defense he could really work with that young pitching staff I think he might be pretty bored in Baltimore though with that roster because he's he's kind of a head case uh, if you, you pay attention to him but hey I, I would love to have that glove and he's not you bring him in he if he accepts anything you got a million dollars and you got austin hedges and if he doesn't accept that he's going to sit on the free agent market forever so yep you're gonna get him for super cheap yeah so a lot of uh big questions still unanswered as we proceed with the offseason and we took a really in-depth look at the rule five draft uh tonight and we'll probably circle back at some point in the coming weeks once uh some of this is settled, uh, in particular with who the Orioles protect, if they take anybody in the Rule 5 draft. Um, the Rule 5 draft, as I mentioned earlier, will be next month, and I'm sure we'll have coverage around that time. Uh, in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter, at DSL on the Verds. Check in uh, to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for news stories and uh, jump in and discuss it on the message board there. So before we sign off tonight, I'm going to start with Nick. Any final thoughts? Yeah, there was one more transaction that took place I saw earlier today that uh, Christian Alvarado is no longer with the Orioles. Uh, he was signed by the Oakland A's to a minor league deal. So uh, Alvarado is one of my guys. I loved watching him pitch. I remember I really didn't know who he was until about three years ago when I went down to Lynchburg, and he actually pitched against um, – uh, when he went up against the Indians, and they had uh, Tristan McKenzie. There you go. I was trying to think of the name on the fly. I can't remember it. Uh, he went up against Tristan McKenzie, which was an awesome game to watch. And I, I loved Alvarado. Just the way he interacted with the crowd set, uh, really stood out to me from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, it sucks. He was someone who the Orioles brought in spring training. Obviously, the Orioles didn't see too much in him. Uh, didn't bring him to the alternate site. Didn't bring him to instructional leagues. But the A's got a, got a decent one. Good luck to you. Yeah, I did like Alvarado following along the box score in Double A Bowie last year, so that is disappointing to me. But the one thing I want to say is uh, congratulations to Kim Ang, who was hired as the general manager for the Miami Marlins, first woman general manager. So kudos to her. Hope she does great, and hopefully there's more to come. Yeah, certainly I think it's an exciting time to be a Marlins fan. Between Kim Ang being hired, you're coming off of the playoff appearance, even if it is a you know shortened season. Uh, some really talented young pitching. So right now, not a bad time at all to be a Miami Marlins fan. Let's just hope they don't blow this roster up uh, under Derek Jeter's ownership group. But, um, yeah, I think the big question for me is just exactly how the Orioles are going to proceed with uh, keeping players out of the Rule 5 draft because this is such an exceptionally deep class. Um, A lot of tough decisions are going to have to be made here. And particularly with the pitching side, do we find a scenario where Zach Pop and Alex Wells are protected? My guess is no, but that remains to be seen. Um, So thank you for listening to this episode. For uh, Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, this has been Zach Spedden. Uh, Continue to follow us, as I said earlier, on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. Check into BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for news stories. We'll be back with a new episode sometime in the coming weeks. But in the meantime, uh, stay safe and... uh, Continue to follow us.